Hey, happy birthday. Happy fourth birthday, Liberty Northeast. Let's give ourselves a round of applause. You did it. You got here. Hey, let's have, a, let's have a little bit of fun here today. Let's just do a quick survey, like raising of hands, okay? How many of you have been here since launch Sunday? So that'd be January 2019. Feels like ages ago. All right, so a few of you. All right, you can put your hands down. How many of you started watching us or joining us online during the COVID lockdowns? So that'd be like March 2020 to August 2020. Okay, a few more. All right. How many of you came right after the lockdowns, like right when we we're still meeting at Klein Life? Raise your hands. All right, a few of you. How many of you came when we'd just been in this building? Raise your hands. Fantastic. So now, how many of you just stumbled upon us? Website or Google? Just raise your hands. Okay. How many of you were personally invited by me? Raise your hands. Personally invited. Okay, my family, good. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> Kyle, thank you. And how many of you were invited by someone here or you knew someone here so you decided to check us out? Raise your hands. Fantastic. You're confirming what I suspected. Many or most of you were invited directly or indirectly by someone else. Most people don't show up to a church because they found us on Google. That happens, and that's great, and we pay money so that ads would purposely hit you, and we were happy to do so. But most people get invited because they've been invited by someone else. And so as we move into this new sermon series, I do want to talk about that a little bit today. And we move into this year, I want us to pattern our lives after what Jesus patterns his life after, after the things of God, and I want us to change our rhythms and our routines and run after the renewal we've been running after this past, the year before in 2022, and so that we in our world can so desperately get the renewal that it needs. And we'll start by patterning our lives after the patterns of Jesus. And so the word for the year will be patterns. We always pick a word, this year is patterns. Last year was renewal, this year is patterns. We're going to focus on patterns, rhythms, routines of what it looks like to be all about the things of God. And today I'm going to talk about invitation, that Jesus, Jesus has a pattern of inviting people into the things of God. In summer 2020, right, so this is right after, this is the summer after the pandemic hit, our leaders had eyes on God's kingdom, uh, about spreading the gospel in our region, in our world. So what they decided to do was to invite Kyle and Laura, connect, to come and be part of our church. You just heard Kyle up here. And we asked them to come and to explore what church planting would look like. If, if, if they wanted to church plant maybe in the future, figure that out. We might want to church plant in the future. Why don't you come and check us out? And so they started coming in January 2021. Now, before COVID hit, we were averaging somewhere between 80, like 70 to 80 people per Sunday, let's say. But by January 2021, our average attendance got, was down to 40. 40 adults and kids. And so that was a great time to invite Laura and Kyle to come be part of our church. Hey, this is a great way to get you excited about church planning when we're in struggle mode. When this is a struggle fest, why don't you come and find out about it? Now, even so, eight months later, in September 2021, our leaders then sat 
all in my patio, and we came up with a three-year vision for Liberty Northeast. And a big part of that vision was that by fall 2024, we wanted to be a church of 150 people. Now, to be honest, I was super skeptical of that number. I even expressed it, and our leaders were like, no, we believe God has given us this number of 150 people. This is what we're going for. I said, all right. It's the beauty of plurality of leadership, right, where I'm not the only one in charge, and I just go, okay. If it's going to happen, God's going to have to make this happen. But 150 people, to me, sounds insurmountable by fall 2024. But by God's grace, it wasn't just me pushing that goal. It was our leaders saying, we believe God has given us this goal of 150 people. And to get us there, what, one thing they did is they said, we're going to set a goal that we have 100 people here on Easter 2022. And we had 114 people on Easter 2022. If you were here that Sunday, it was a fantastic Sunday. It was a beautiful Sunday. On Christmas Eve, we had 104 people. We said, well, maybe we'll get like 60 people at Christmas Eve. 104. And so now we, by God's grace, aren't a church of 40 anymore. We're actually about a church of around 100 people. So 150 doesn't seem that crazy anymore. And why are we moving that direction? Why are we getting closer and closer to what we believe, the number that God has given us? It's because of you. Because God used you to invite people to this church to meet Jesus and meet his family and to get us there. But we're not there yet. We're at a critical juncture in our church. Like I said, we believe God gave us the 150 number, and we want to get there. Because we also want to launch a new church in fall 2024 in Bucks County. And 150 people would make Liberty Northeast and the next church plant the healthiest they can be. See, there's a challenge, right? We don't want to send so many people that then it, it crushes this church and we don't want to send too little people so they can't even get off the ground. So we believe God gave us that number so we can say, hey, Liberty blank, whatever you are, here is 50 people. Go. Raise your hands again. Who was here, who was here in my living room when we were doing Bible studies? Okay, my family and four other of you. Okay? Right? That, we started with six people. We're saying, no, no, we want to start with a larger group for this church. So we'll need you to invite people to come here and, be, and we need you to take on this Jesus pattern of invitation. We invite because we've been invited. That's what scripture shows us. We don't invite people for numbers' sake. We invite because we invite people to meet Jesus because Jesus invited us. An invitation, when we invite people, what it does is it satisfies, it destroys, and it surprises. And I'll talk about all three of those things. That invitation satisfies, invitation destroys, and invitation surprises. So why don't we just jump into the text here. Invitation satisfies. Look at verse 43 of John chapter 1. And the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, 
the city of Andrew and Peter. These are two other disciples of Jesus. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. That's a fancy way of saying the Bible. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Invitation, what invitation does when we invite people, what it does is satisfies longings. Now, quick search on BibleGateway.com. If you just search the words, follow me, in the Gospels, Jesus says, follow me, 22 times. So it's not like, oh, we found one verse where Jesus is saying, follow me, and we're like, hey, you should go invite people because we want to create this big church, and we, or we want to plant another church. No, no. Jesus says it 22 times, so that actually means something pretty serious. Jesus wants people to follow him. But invitation is more than just follow me, right? Other places, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come. The great evangelist Billy Graham once wrote that Jesus' invitations boil down to three categories. Invitation to discipleship, invitation to rest, and invitation to live in the realm of God. And the passage we're looking at today covers all three of these. First, Jesus gives an invitation to discipleship. You look in verse 43. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Take on the pattern of my life on your life. And we'll see in verses 50 to 51 that he invites us to live in the realm of God. But in the passage we just read, what Jesus, what Jesus or what Nathaniel's being invited, Jesus is inviting Philip, and Philip's inviting Nathaniel into is an invitation to rest. Jesus invites Philip, and Philip goes to invite Nathaniel. And when he finds Nathaniel, he says, Hey, Nathaniel, we can rest now. Because we found the one we've been looking for, the Messiah. Philip, we can stop searching. Philip, we can stop seeking. Uh, Nathaniel, we can stop searching. Nathaniel, we can stop seeking. We found the one we've been seeking and searching for. So when we invite people to follow Jesus, we're inviting them to say, hey, you've been seeking, you've been searching. You can rest now. Because here's Jesus. Young people in the first century in Israel, God's people, were being oppressed by the Romans. And what they did at that point is they held really tightly onto God's promises to send the Messiah, to give them rest from their enemies, rest like the Bible told them that so. And the rest that the Bible said God would give them. And Philip says to Nathaniel, we found him. We found him. We found rest. We're looking for the rest, the deepest longings that we have. If you think about it, maybe you know the story of the road to Emmaus, right? When they, Jesus dies and he rose again, he spends time with his disciples walking on the road. And they go, wait, Jesus says, hey, why are you so sad? Because we thought he would be the one to redeem Israel. We thought Jesus would be able to do that. And Jesus goes, hold on a second. Hey, guys, it's me. Look, it's me. They were looking for rest for their deepest longings, and they found it. In the 1940s, there's this American psychologist called Abraham Maslow. And he came up with what we call Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I know these are all debated, but just, just roll with me for a little bit, okay? But 
Abraham Maslow, his goal was to say, okay, let's not just look at societies, but let's look across all societies and say, hey, what are the universal human needs that we all have? And they're often displayed in a pyramid that you might see where each, you need to kind of meet the bottom level of needs before you can move to the other ones above it. So we need the ones at the bottom to be met, then we'll move up. So from the bottom, you kind of have your basic needs, like food, water, clothing, security. And then you, have, you move up to your psychological needs, like intimacy, friendship, a feeling of accomplishment. And at the top of the pyramid is self-fulfillment needs, like self-actualization, like achieving your potential. You can't achieve your potential if you don't have the bottom stuff, but that's, where you, that's the goal. We all want to achieve our potential. We all share these longings, Maslow said. And our greatest one is self-fulfillment, self-actualization, that we're actually reaching our potential. Every person wants their longings fulfilled. Your friends, your family, your coworkers, your children, your neighbors, your roommates, your classmates, the cashier at Duncan, like all those people want to stop running. They want rest. They want to stop seeking. They want to stop searching. They all want to find the thing that will fulfill their deepest longings and give them the rest that Philip says in Nathaniel. We found it. We can rest now. You can actually live your potential because we finally found it. And Jesus would probably do, you know, like he'd probably look at Maslow's pyramid and he'd probably say, hey, like, I, like I'm not promising you physical food, but, I can, but I'm giving you spiritual food, which is what you really need. Hey, I, I know you want belonging and love and intimacy and friendship. I may not give that to you particularly like in a spouse, but I will give that to you in a family and through me and my love through the Holy Spirit. Hey, you might not like hit your career goals, your self-actualization. You might not hit those things that you really think you want to do, but I will give you life and life to its fullest. And everyone wants that, but they go looking for it someplace else. But I, see, that's the only place they can get rest. The world can get rest, and your friends and your coworkers, the person at Duncan, they all can get rest only in Jesus, the rest that they really need deep for their deepest longings. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're here, you're coming restless, and you just need your deepest longings met. And Jesus says, I will meet them for you. I'm a very particular person. This is something that Hannah, our administrative assistant, has found out as she's worked with me this year. But one of my particularities, let's just say, my peculiarities, is that I only get a good night's sleep when I sleep with my pillow. Anybody else like that? There's a pillow that you have? Okay, no one. Fantastic. Okay, so it's just me. So... I cannot get a good night's sleep unless I have my pillow. Like, I will wake Amanda up if she's using my pillow. Like, I know it's selfish, but that's what I do. On the men's retreat, I brought my pillow because if I don't have it, the next morning I'm like completely a mess. Now, let me ask you a question. If tonight I go looking for my pillow and I can't find it and I start tearing my house apart to find it, but Amanda had it, and she knew where it was, and she was keeping it hidden from me, that'd be pretty messed up, right? You guys would be like, hey, you probably should go see somebody as a couple. Though, to, for, it would be messed up for her to keep the one thing that I need for a good night's rest away from me. But isn't that what we often do with Jesus? Don't we know that's the thing that people need? 
for them to get rest for their souls, for their deepest longings, to satisfy those longings, and we hold it back from them? We know where it is. We know how they can get it. We know that their searching can stop, their seeking can stop, their running can stop, but we go, no, no, no. No. I'm not going sh- to show it to you. I'm not going to share it with you. I'm not going to tell you where your pillow is. I'm not going to tell you where you can find rest. And because it involves, that's pretty messed up, and because it involves eternity, isn't it even more messed up? And just like a night's sleep, we're talking about eternal rest. There's a survey done recently by Barna that said that almost half of millennials believe at least somewhat that it's wrong to share their faith with someone else, that it's wrong. And here's my concern for us at Liberty Northeast. This belief may not mark your surveys, but it marks your lives. It marks my life. I would go, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, 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 no. I wouldn't be one of those millennials. I'm one of the other 50% millennials that think it's actually a good idea to share my faith. And they go say, hey, Evan, do you do that? No. See, this past year, our attendance has gone up, but our baptism numbers have dropped. That's concerning. Because Jesus wants us to invite people to have their whole lives changed. Jesus in Matthew 28 says, go and and baptize people. Make them disciples. Jesus doesn't say, just make them converts. Jesus says, baptize them. Make them disciples. See, I think a lot of times we're inviting people to have their belonging and love needs met on on the pyramid, Maslow's pyramid. It's by this welcoming and loving church. But people really want self-actualization. People really want to achieve their potential and to only achieve it with Jesus and being his disciple. Jesus in Luke 9, 23 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus doesn't just invite us to rest. He invites us to discipleship, which is hard and difficult and involves suffering and involves leaving things behind that you may have so loved, but you give them up for the sake of knowing Jesus. But it's the only way for all of us to achieve our potential, for anybody you know to achieve their potential, So we don't invite people for numbers' sake. We invite them for disciples' sake. We're inviting people to take up their cross and follow Jesus, to experience self-fulfillment and self-actualization because of him. Not because they reach their career goals or their financial goals or their family goals, but because they reach the goals of Jesus, which is to reach the world for him. So home meetings, the liturgy, the coffee, the number of young families at this church, the preaching, those are all nice things about our church. And God can use all those things to help us achieve our potential. But if we're inviting people to come and experience those things, they'll never be satisfied. Because what you end up hearing is like, I don't really like the emphasis of going to home meetings. What do you mean I got to go weekly? We're like, I wish home meetings were more like academic in nature rather than personal. Or I don't really understand the liturgy. Like, why do we do that? Why do we do these rhythms and routines? And I'm not really, gonna, really thinking about asking, but you invited me to come to this because you thought this was great, but it's really, I don't understand it. Or the coffee's too strong. Coffee's good, but phew, it can be too strong sometimes. 
I think it's good, but, you know, some people think it's, I guess, think it's too strong. But we can debate that later and get a little snobbish about my coffee. We're like, the kids are too rambunctious. Yeah, they're awesome. It's great that we have a lot of kids here, but, you know, they're just kind of running around at the end and jumping on the pews and, you know, making loud noises. How dare they be children? Or you might hear somebody say, like, I prefer verse-by-verse preaching. Or I prefer strictly topical preaching. And then we wonder why people don't stick. Because we invited them to those things. We invited them to something other than Jesus. We've been invited by Jesus to invite others to Jesus. You hear me? Should you invite people to meet Jesus at liberty? Yes. But I'm begging you as the pastor, invite them to follow him not liberty. So invitation satisfies, but invitation also destroys. Look at verse 46. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. What invitation does, it not only satisfies their deepest longings, but it also destroys perception. Maybe you've heard somebody say something like this, perception isn't reality, but for many people, perception is reality. Right? It's not the reality, but for many people, their perception is. So Philip has this perception of the small town of Nazareth, which is about like 200 to 500 people in Jesus' time. And, and it's overall like a poor town. It's not highly regarded. It's kind of a nothing, no good, no name, poor town. And he's like, ew, Nazareth? Gross. What could come from there? That's good. Philadelphians, we might be like, Dallas? Gross. New York? Gross. Do your friends and neighbors have perceptions about Jesus in the church that need to be destroyed? And the only way they'll be destroyed is through you sharing Jesus with them. And look, some perceptions are justifiable, right? There's many things that people believe about the Christian church because we've done it to ourselves. There's times where we've been more money-hungry than generous. There's times we've been more worried about power than the poor. There's more times that we fought for people's political views more than their souls. There's times where we've ignored abuse rather than saying something about it. So we can't always blame people for their perceptions of the church. But notice what Philip does. He doesn't go in like this PR move and say, oh, no, the church is actually really awesome. My church is actually perfect, which it never will be since... I'm here, and you're here, so it never will be perfect. No, Philip says to Nathaniel, he hears Nathaniel's perception, and he just says what? Come and see. When you're inviting someone to follow Jesus, and you're inviting them to join you in following Jesus at Liberty Northeast, hear their perceptions, but just invite them to come and see. Well, I've had bad church experiences. Okay, come and see. Well, I'm not sure I like that style of worship. Okay, come and see. Like, aren't, a bunch, aren't Christians just a bunch of right-wing nut jobs? You know what? Some of us are, I guess. But come and see. I'm not sure I want to drive that far. I'll drive you. I do. Come and see. Come and see Jesus. Come and see what he's doing in and through our church. Come and see what Jesus has done in my life and in the lives of those here. Come and see. See, it's, it's 
your job to get people to Jesus. Jesus invited you so you can invite them to him. And it's his job, though, to get them the rest of the way. John Calvin says something like this. He says, attach people to the hand of Jesus and let him carry them along. Your job is just get people to the hand of Jesus. Come and see. But we can get so focused on us that we never invite them to him at all. You can get so focused on you, what they, they'll think about you. Like, maybe they'll think that you're one of those Christians that they see on TV, like the caricatures of, like, you know, Angela from The Office, right? Or maybe, they, maybe, they're, maybe Liberty's like that cult that I watched that Netflix documentary on. Maybe they're like that. And you're afraid, well, they're going to think I'm like that, so I'm not really going to share because their experience with religion is what they saw on Netflix, which is never a great, just, hey, if you're here, it's never a great way to find out about religion is to watch things on Netflix. They're fun, but don't take it too far. Or what if they don't like church? So then I have to have this awkward conversation with them on the ride home or on Monday. Or what if I fail and they don't accept Jesus? What does that say about me? Am I a failure? Or what if I trip over my words? He felt gives us a great response to that. Just say, come and see. See, a selfish attitude that, that cares more about you will end up having you care more about you than about someone's and somebody's experience of you rather than their experience of Jesus. And that will never destroy false perceptions. If you're always worried about what people think about you, They'll never get a chance to think about Jesus. They'll never, if you're worried about their false perceptions they have of you or their false perceptions they have of the church, they'll never actually get to have those destroyed by meeting Jesus. So you'll never invite someone to come and see Jesus when your eyes are focused on you. It's not your job to make it happen. It's not your job to seal the deal or to satisfy their deepest longings or to destroy their false perceptions. It's just your job to make sure it happens, to invite them to Jesus and his church. That's all you're asked to do. Come and see for yourself. And then lastly, invitation surprises. Look at the rest of the passage. Starting verse 47 Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Invitation also surprises and surprises with greater. Early on in Israel's history, Jacob, Abraham's godson, I'm grandson, was known as trickster. And one day he tricked his brother Esau, his older brother, out of his birthright. And Esau got angry. Wouldn't you get angry? Absolutely. And Esau wanted to kill Jacob. Hopefully you wouldn't respond that way. So what did Jacob do? He ran. Makes sense. 
So while he's on the run, though, one night he's sleeping and he has a dream where he sees this ladder coming down from heaven to earth and going back up from earth back up to heaven with angels going up and down the ladder. And God speaks to him in that moment and he makes a promise that I'll always be with you, Jacob. And then look at verse 17 of Genesis 28. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And what he does then is he goes and he names the place Bethel, which means the house of God. And this story struck such a chord with God's people that they would begin to speak of his house, the temple, the temple that's in Jerusalem, as the gate of heaven, the place where heaven and earth meet. So Jesus, in his invitation, sorry, Jesus' invitation to Philip, to then Nathaniel, and then Jesus' invitation to Nathaniel surprises Nathaniel with more than he expected, with greater. How? With the supernatural ability to see Nathaniel under the fig tree? That's pretty impressive, but it's not the surprise. The surprise comes when Jesus says, wait till you see what else I'll do. And better. Wait until you see who else I am. When Jesus has that statement about you'll see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, what Jesus is saying is saying, I'm the temple. I'm the ladder from heaven to earth and vice versa. I'm the gate of heaven. I'm the place where heaven and earth meet. I'm inviting you to live in the realm of God in me. And the place where we see heaven and earth come in full view in Jesus, where they meet in full view in Jesus, is on the cross where he suffered and died for our sins so that we could be invited to have our deepest longings satisfied in our forgiveness of sins, to have our false perception of who God is. God's not a distant God, but he is a God who suffers and dies to save his people, to have those perceptions destroyed and to surprise us with greater of his mercy and his love towards undeserving sinners like us. Jesus says, you want the gate of heaven? You want to live in the realm of God, Nathaniel? Here it is in me. I am it. When I was 15, Jesus surprised me. I had this false perception that needed to be destroyed. I thought I was following Jesus. I thought I had a relationship with him. But God used a preacher when I was in New Mexico. It's a long story. We'll get there someday. Who used the Holy Spirit to invite me to give my life to Jesus. And the love and mercy of Jesus knocked me over and just grabbed a hold of my heart and I fell to my knees and I wept like a baby. Have you ever been surprised by Jesus in this way? Does his invitation surprise you? Maybe you're like C.S. Lewis in his book Surprised by Joy where he says that he was kicking and struggling, resentful, darting eyes in every direction for a chance of escape. And then you've been surprised by Jesus when he opened up the gate of heaven to you. Or maybe you believed you were unlovable. And maybe you still believe you're unlovable. But Jesus comes in, he surprises you with this overwhelming love for you. 
or maybe you've carried guilt and shame only to be surprised by the freedom of his forgiveness or you were searching and then Jesus rushed in and he satisfied your deepest longings or maybe you were a child and you were surprised with how early Jesus invited you to himself. Whatever the surprise was or how it happened, when we sit back and we realize the invitation we received and how it satisfies, how it destroys, and how it surprises, we'll find that we want others to experience this too. That you're going to want your family to experience this, your coworkers, your neighbors, your classmates, your roommates, the cashier at Duncan, whoever it is, to experience the same thing. We have to remind ourselves of what it was like to be surprised by Jesus if we've been Christians for some time. To be surprised by his love and we need to say, hey, Jesus did this for me. Come and see what he can do for you and who he is. And we invite because you've first been invited by him. So listen, we believe as a leadership team that God wants us to get to 